Today I will believe and confess that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you again for the opportunity to be found in your house. Father, we recognize that you alone are good, that you alone, Heavenly Father, are merciful to us. And Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray, Lord, that it would be edifying to the body, that we will all be strengthened as a result of your word. Not anything that man can do, Heavenly Father, can water us. But Father, only you can. Only you can have the power to save us and to lift us up out of darkness. Father, we praise you right now. We pray that we are improved Christians, Heavenly Father, as a result of your word. And we thank you, dear God, for your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, uh, our message is entitled, The Compassion of Jesus. And uh, the scriptures that we're going to utilize to do that. I think most of us are probably, if you've been walking this walk for a while, are probably familiar uh, with the scripture that we will use. But I want to kind of go through it because it is uh, one of those uh, records in the Bible that when I, re- especially when I read it, it was just kind of had some things in there that made me think. So many times when we hear words or statements, we aren't able to give full subscription to the information we receive. So for those that are looking online, that are listening to us, here in South Louisiana, we do some things differently. We, we have some sayings that if you came here for the first time or you didn't know anybody, we kind of throw you off. So here in Louisiana, you know, after we finish eating, we wash dishes, and you, are, you may hear someone say, hey, go save the dishes. Well, it's not that the dishes are evil. It's not that the dishes are uh, lost, but we call that putting up dishes. So, hey, go save the dishes. Not, they're not lost. We say things like, you know, we want somebody to come. We say, come see. Well, we're not actually telling them to come see a thing. We're actually, actually telling them to come here. We say, come see. To South Louisiana. We make groceries. Yeah, I hear hear a few uh, chuckles in the crowd. We make groceries. We don't actually make the groceries. Making groceries, when when you're making groceries, you go and get groceries. So if you're visiting here and you hear some of these sayings, you might want to take account of some of these things uh, as as you hear them. We take sick. We take sick. We don't get sick. We take sick. Uh, We also, when when we ask somebody to come out, we tell them to pass by the house. We don't want them to just pass by it. We actually tell them to come to our house. So those are some of the sayings that we have. And sometimes when we say them, it it can be difficult for people to subscribe to those things because if you're not here or around here, it may may, may not make sense to you. So we understand that these sayings in our community are localized. It's because of where we live and just how we talk. And over time, words can take uh, different meanings. So, some 2,000 years ago, though, Jesus said some things that went over his disciples' heads, over some of his friends' heads, 
and even over his enemy's head. Now, it wasn't because he was trying to be so deep or that he was trying to uh, exalt his, his lordship in that way over them in his words, but it was more so because he was talking of things to come many times, and they were thinking of things that were just present or in the natural. Sometimes he was talking about things that may have been more spiritual, and they were thinking maybe more on a, a human or level plane. We know that our Jesus is compassionate. We know that he is not a liar. So we're going to go to uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to start there. And as, as we go there, there's some things that happened in these scriptures that as we go through it and we unpack it, you'll see some of these things. And maybe you were like me. I know we have a, people that are here that are really, really sharp. And you guys may get things immediately, but sometimes it takes me two or three or four or five or six or seven times to get it. I have to dig sometimes, but once I get it, I'm okay. But I may have to do a little digging, a little shoveling to get down to the real meaning of, of um, what the Bible or what Jesus or what people are trying to say. I remember the first time I heard somebody say they were going to make groceries when I was in New Orleans. I was like, what do you mean you're going to make groceries? You know, I, I, I didn't know what that was. So in the same way with the Bible, I have to dig through some things to understand some things. And we'll see as we're talking about the compassion of Jesus, we're going to go through and we're going to talk, we'll see the compassion of Jesus as it is displayed to Lazarus and his family and to us as well uh, in John chapter 11. So I'm going to read here the first, uh, first couple verses and then we'll stop and then we'll have some conversation. Uh, we'll, we'll talk, have a little um, talk about what went on. So John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So let's stop right there real quick. Let's back up just a little bit. And we're going to, I'm, I'm going to go to uh, 11.2. And it talks about that Mary, which anointed the Lord with, with ointment. Now, this is Mary, who is Lazarus's brother, Martha's sister. And all of them are friends of Jesus Christ. Now, when John was writing this, these events had already taken place. So this isn't necessarily in order. But we see here where, as, as John has, has written this, he's explaining who these people are. He tells us that Lazarus is sick, and he's unfolding this record, this story, to us. Then he goes forward and says that, he's, that they sent the Lord, they sent messengers, that, I'm sorry, therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick, he being Lazarus. Now, Jesus loved Lazarus because they were friends. He knew him. And the love that he had, there are different types of love. The love that Jesus had for Lazarus is agape love. And agape love, well, yes, he had agape love, but he also had phileo love, which is a different type of love. Agape love is just is a godly type of love. So 
if I have an enemy, someone does something or has done something bad to me, I need that agape love to love that person, to love thy enemy, to do good to my enemy. However, phileo love is a friendly love, a friendship love. It's that love that flows out of you when you're around friends. It's not hard. It's easy uh, when you're around people that you like, when you're around people that you love. It's not hard to have that love, and that's the type of love that Jesus had for Lazarus. So this, these, they were friends. So as we see, they are, as we see here, as we continue on, uh, Jesus is sent for by them because he's sick. So it says, when Jesus hears, when, when the people are sent to Jesus, when Jesus hears that this sickness is not, he says, that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So let's back up again, just a little bit here. Now, we want to figure out, because I was wondering as I read this, especially for the first time, when I first read it a long time ago, okay, where is Jesus? If we go back, I don't think I gave them this in the back, But if we want to find out where Jesus was, if we just go back a few verses to John chapter 10, verse 40, it says, and you don't have to go there, I'll just read it. It says, and went away, and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, there he abode. So this is where Jesus was after some things that had happened in the verse before had taken place. So, Jesus was there, which was about 25 to, th- about 25 to 30 miles away from where Lazarus was and Mary was and Martha was. This becomes important because as we go a little further and unpack this whole deal, you're going to see that Jesus was thinking way further down the road than where Martha was thinking or where Mary was thinking, and the people that were around all of her friends. Let's keep going. I'm going to go, I'm going to start at uh, verse 5, 11.5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Let's stop right there again. It didn't make sense to me that if Jesus just said that Jesus had this phileo, this friendly love for Martha, for Mary, and for Lazarus, right? So why does he stay two extra days where he was at? So Lazarus is sick. They send for Jesus. And Jesus stays after they send him for two extra days. It seems to me that Jesus would have just gotten up in my human mind, and said, okay, let me get going. Or he could have done like, uh, I think it was the centurion that sent word to Jesus, and, you know, the centurion just sent word and said, I I don't need to come, I'm just going to believe that. Maybe Jesus could have reversed that and just said, okay, it's fine. Lazarus, he'll be okay. But that's not what he did. He stuck around. So let's keep reading. Let's go to chapter, verse 7. Then after that saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. That's where um, Jesus was getting ready to go. His disciples say unto him, Master, 
The Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Okay, so let's stop there. Let's back up. Let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. Now, Jesus' disciples are there with him. They just came out of Judea, and they were getting ready to stone Jesus. They wanted to kill him there. Lazarus gets sick. Word is sent back for him. And he's ready to go back to do this. And we see, or we'll see, that as we continue on in this, that his disciples really did not want to go back because they knew the danger that laid in going back in the same vicinity to where all of these things that had happened to Jesus, where the people wanted to kill him and all this stuff was going on, they were not too excited about having to, or wanting to go back there. Um, so they kind of were like, we don't really want to go back over there. I guess in their mind, they were probably thinking, Jesus, can't you just say the word, and then we just get, on, get this out the way, and we can avoid this danger. But then Jesus makes this, this statement about the 12 hours in the day. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. So Jesus is saying here, which this statement here just kind of astounded me. I'd like to go to John, and again, they don't have this in the back either, John chapter 8, verse 12. And I'll just read it for you real quick. I'll get there real quick and read it. It says, Then Jesus spake, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So I'm sure when his disciples heard him say this, they may not have known, but Jesus had already said back in John 8 and 12 that he's the light of life. So basically what he's saying here in these verses, 9 and 11, uh, John 11, 9 and 10, is that you don't have to fear. You're with me. I'm the light of the world. That there's safety in walking in him and doing things within that time that we should. It's at night that you can't see and that you, that you would stumble. But when you're walking with Jesus, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about the troubles that you have going into this place to do what God has sent you to do. So with that, we can also see that in our lives, that there, as things go on and things that we need to do, as long as we have Jesus and we're walking in accordance with his word and with his will, the dangers that we have to go through, because there are some dangers and there are some trials and there are some things that we're going to go through, but as long as we are with him, we don't have to worry as long as we have the light of life with us. Amen? All right. So I'm going to pick back up at uh, verse 11. Just hang in here with me. Let's pick up uh, John 11, verse 11. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Again, these are some other confusing things that appear if I were a disciple of Jesus at that time. The question is, why would Jesus 
even make some of the statements that he said. And so let's talk about a couple of those statements that he said. One of them, he waited, or said or did. One of them, why did he wait two days? We, we, we mentioned that, and we'll talk more and more about that as we move forward. After learning of Lazarus's condition, uh, another excerpt in this record in John 11, what was Thomas talking about in the statement that he made? And we're going to get to that in just a second. And if Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, why didn't he just say that? It's not that Jesus is a liar, but again, he had more and more things that he was trying to prove because the compassion of Jesus was being displayed not just for them, but for many. So in verse 12, John eleven twelve, 12, it says, Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, shall, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking, had, had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then Jesus unto them, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now, we see here where, where Jesus is, is, is saying that Lazarus is dead. He's making that clear. And he's saying it to, unto them. Now, who is them that he was talking to? He was talking about his disciples. Now, what's interesting in this is that his disciples had already seen that he had raised people from the dead. So why is he saying that he's glad? Why is he rejoicing that he's going to go and raise somebody from the dead? Well, the people that were there, his disciples, they had already seen that. That wasn't anything. They didn't have to believe in something that they'd already seen. But Jesus said that he's rejoicing for their, for their sake. He's saying this to them plainly, that he's going to raise Lazarus, that, that Lazarus is dead. So what is so different about this than when he raised others from the dead? In that day and time, the Jews and the rabbis at that time, they, their practice was that over... Uh, when somebody died, they usually buried them that day, okay? On top of that, there was a belief that the rabbis had during that time, and it may still persist to this day. I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but they believed that when someone died, that the life or the life force of that person hung around them or hung over them or hovered around wherever the dead body was, that there was still a possibility that that life force could come back in their body and raise them up. So there was purpose in Jesus waiting the extra days. So he didn't just say, okay, I'm going to go and do this. He was making a statement. In the same way that Jesus died and was in the, in the grave, was in the tomb for three days, three nights, it was the fourth day that anybody really saw Jesus. In a similar fashion, when Lazarus died, he waited. He was trying to make a point because of the culture. Remember we talked about saving the dishes and all of those things, the things that were said. Well, at that time, the people that Jesus raised from the dead 
They weren't dead for, you know, usually he got there fairly soon, right after they died. Maybe the same day he was able to raise people from the dead. But no one had ever seen anything similar to this. So he was doing this for dual purposes. One, to increase our faith. And another, he was also foreshadowing what was going to happen to him. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, after Jesus had made the statements about being glad that they would see this, Thomas opens his mouth and says something uh, to Jesus and to all of the other disciples. And he says, let us also go that we may die with him. So who are they talking about? Are they talking about Jesus? Are they talking about Lazarus? Let us go so that we may die with him. So when I would read this as a kid, I was thinking, is he trying to die with Lazarus? Well, no. We already talked about the danger that Jesus would face in going back into this area, into uh, Bethany beyond Jordan, which is where uh, they were going. We already talked about that. And so what was Thomas's fear was that they were going to die. When I read this, again, I didn't know if Thomas was being sarcastic or whether he was being bold. Was he saying, well, Jesus, we're just going to go and die with you because that's what's going to happen if we go back? Or was Thomas saying, Jesus, we're going to die with you? Now, Jesus has already made the statement that if you walk, basically, if you walk in the light, you walk during day, if you're walking with me, you're going to be good. God is compassionate, and I think that's what we always have to remember. Regardless of what we do, again, if God is with us, we don't have to worry. It's like when Jesus was in the, it was in the boat, when he was down in the bottom of the ship and the storm came. And the disciples came to him, these same disciples came to him and said, do you not care if we die? They've already been through this. Where is their fear of going back if Jesus said it? Now, if they went on their own, sure, they should be fearful. They should be very fearful if they were walking on their own. But if Jesus tells us, hey, go do this, we should not have that fear. It appears as though Thomas stepped out of that fear. I remember as I was accepting Christ that one of the things that always bothered me was this. You would hear about these people that got saved and they went on safari or or went on mission to Africa. I don't know why everybody gets upset and gets afraid when they have to go to Africa. I mean, it could be somewhere else if God calls you to go a place or not. But I used to feel like, well, God, I don't mind getting saved, but I don't want to go to Africa because I always thought something bad was going to happen if I had to go to Africa. I don't know why, again, it couldn't be, well, I'm fearful if you send me to Philadelphia or excuse me if anybody in Philadelphia is watching, I'm not trying to put your place down, but this fear of going to a place, you know, again, the Bible tells us God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and of a sound mind. We don't have to worry once we're, as, as people that have been walking for a long time, just got saved, wherever you are in this walking, in this journey, these are lessons here that if we walk in the light, with the light of the world, there is nothing to fear. Whether God sends you on mission to your next door neighbor, on your job, or wherever, God is with you and he covers you because 
he's, he's compassionate for us. Yes, there's going to be times and things that we're going to go through that are going to test our faith, that are going to test um, our, our belief in who God is. But that's just part of the walk. That's there to strengthen us and to bring us to a place where we can fully trust God. Let's keep going here in our scripture. I think I stopped in at uh, 17. Yes, that's right after Thomas's statement. It says, then when Jesus came, he found that he had, laid in the, he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh or near to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, which is, about, which is not that far off, maybe a mile and a half, mile and three quarters. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Okay, so let's, let's back up just a little bit. We see in 18 and 19, again, that once Lazarus had passed, because that is what had happened, uh, once, once he had passed, many of the Jews had come from around the way to sit with Martha and Mary to console them in Lazarus' loss. But Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she goes out, but Mary stays home. Now, Martha has taken a lot of heat in the Christian community. You know, you would hear people say, well, you know, when, when, when Mary was anointing Jesus' feet with all, and this happened afterwards, but people would always say, well, you know, Mary, didn't, Mary did the right thing. She sat there with Jesus, and she anointed his feet, and she, li- or she listened to him. But Martha was busy at the house getting things together. So she's taking a bad rap. But I know if somebody comes to my house, I'm getting stuff together. I'm not going to invite you to my house. And if I do invite you to my house and my house isn't cleaned up or straight, we're going to stand outside and talk. I'm not going to let you come in my house and I got stuff all over the place and dishes and everything else is just wild. I'm going to clean all of that stuff up and then you can come in. But otherwise, we're going to stay outside and we're going to go somewhere else. Mary, on the other hand, she does. She, she did stay and she, she, she listened to God, but... To me, as I read this and unpacked it to a degree, Martha is, or, or the, the Martha types are the type of people that we need. The Mary types are also the type of people that we need. Mary, as we see, is a bit more emotional. She stayed. She was with the people and everything because they had come to console them. But Martha was like, we got to get this business done. Yes, Lazarus has passed, but, I, you know, I'm... Uh, I, I know that I'm sad about this, but we got to make this happen. You know, things don't get done by themselves. God is with us, but you got to do some work. And so in the same way, we see Martha was, was pragmatic. She's more of a pragmatist. She's the type of person that's let's get it done. Whereas Mary, you know, she, she's going to sit and talk. She's probably a bit more emotional in her dealings. But again, I don't think we should be so hard on Martha but we, and maybe at that time when things were going on, maybe she should have came and sat down at Jesus' feet and listened, which is true. But there's also some things that happen when we're pragmatic and we work. Let's go to uh, verse 21, verse 11, 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou, if thou hast been here, my brother had not, would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give thee, give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? Now, just talked about Mary and Martha. Let's stop there for a second. Yes, that's right. She, she's excited because uh, <laughs> Jesus said he's the resurrection and the life. So yes, you got the right excitement there. Uh, but we see that Martha, because of what she did, that she left the house, she got a chance to hear Jesus say some things. She got a chance to hear that Jesus, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Mary didn't get a chance to see that because she stayed home. Not that she was lazy or whatever. She chose to do that. And again, as I said, we need all types of people in order to get things done. But sometimes those things that, you know, when, when you work and you are out about doing things, some things almost just kind of fall in your lap. Well, what better could have fallen in, in, in uh, Martha's lap than to hear when Jesus said that he's the resurrection and the life and that he that believeth in him Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, he was speaking about Lazarus, but he was also speaking way further down. He's speaking about all of us. Because the truth of it is, is that, you know, at some point, we're all going to leave this place, right? And it's a common Christian belief that, you know, and when we talk at funerals and things of that nature, that when we die, you just immediately go to heaven. Well, no, it doesn't really work that way. You die, you're dead. You're there for a while. Now, there is a resurrection that will come, and which is our great hope, which is why we're all sitting here, which is why we all believe, and which is why we all try to stay the course, because we expect that eternal, that eternal life that we're going to receive, that reward that we will receive for doing what we're supposed to do, but more so believing upon the name of Jesus Christ. So even in that, you know, we, we should recognize that there's something that's coming for us. It may not come immediately. It may not be as we may think, but there is definitely good that it's going to come as a result of believing in the resurrection and the life. Now, I'm going to move down just a little bit here uh, to, this, to verse 27. Uh, it says, She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had... And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then... When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been there, my brother had not died. Okay. So here we see we're moving to this place where we're getting closer and closer to Lazarus and, and Jesus showing us his compassion through what he does with Lazarus. So Mary gets up. Martha comes to uh, Mary and says, hey, the Lord is coming and he wants to see you. He tells her that in secret. And so Mary gets up and then goes out to Jesus and makes these statements that, hey, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Now, many of us, again, know the story, which is true. He would not have died. 
However, Jesus allowed this to happen again for them and for us because he, he didn't say he, he wanted his disciples again to be built up even stronger to know that he had supreme power over death even before his resurrection. Now, Mary, when she got to Jesus, she was sad and the people were coming behind them, behind her to, to comfort her as she went out because they thought that Mary was going to Lazarus to, to, to console herself and to weep and to do all of those things. But that's not exactly where she was going, obviously, when she went to see Jesus. And when, so it says here in 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So here we see that this same Jesus who earlier stayed in the same place for two extra days and knows what, is, what he's doing. He sees way beyond this. He knows that he's going to, he knows that this sickness was not going to lead to Jesus's, lead to Lazarus's uh, ultimate death, which is, a que- which is an answer to one of the questions that I had. Why did Jesus say that this sickness is not unto death and Lazarus dies? Well, he knew, he, he never said that Lazarus was not going to die. He said that whatever sickness, whether it was cancer or pneumonia or whatever it was Lazarus had, he knew that that was not going to lead to death for him. He knew that he would be raised from the grave, but he had a way that he wanted to do that. Now, we also see in that that Jesus knew what was going on, that that was his, the, the God in him, that he was God. That's a clear explanation of his divinity. But now, but now we see when, when Mary comes and they're weeping and uh, the people are groaning and it, it, it was just, it wasn't a pretty sight when they came out to meet Jesus when he was dealing with her. To the degree that we now see Jesus's humanity. In some places where it says, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, that there's a translation that says that Jesus burst into tears because he was full. He, he sees all of this, his humanity, just as most of us would be if we saw a scene and there were people that were very sad as human beings. That's just a part of who we are and what we do when we see those things. But I remember once I was at my grandmother's house. This was probably two or three years ago, uh, probably two years ago. And we were out there, and we had family around. And um, across the street, one of my uncles had set up an, a, a trailer there. And so their little house was there. And so it just so happened in my grandmother's house where I used to go and uh, back in the, yeah, this was back in the 90s, late 90s. While I was working, I would go visit her on Tuesdays. I would have a few hours because that was part of the area that I was in. And we'd sit out and we'd talk and reminisce, and I got to know that grandmother more than I got to know any of my other grandparents. But after we were out there doing our little family reunion type thing, I went inside the house and I walked around the house. And I'm usually not the type of person to just start crying about anything. You know, you try to, you know, most men, we're macho and we try not to show our tears and all of that stuff. I get that. But when I was there at the house, I remember just the memories 
Now, this was different from what Jesus was, was, was uh, feeling. But sometimes you just get overwhelmed. Your, your, your soul, your spirit just gets overwhelmed. And I just started crying, and I was a little, you know, I had all these emotions because I'm seeing all of these things, and I'm feeling all of these things, and uh, I'm seeing in my mind, I'm seeing people. I didn't see them, actually, but, you know, uncles and aunts and people and smells and things that you smelled from back in those times, and it was just overwhelming. So in the same way, I believe that Jesus, when he wept, to whatever degree he wept, whether he burst into tears or was one tear, Something in him was moved physically, humanly, that made him cry. Now, he knew what he was going to do. Now, whether he knew he was going to go there and we, I don't know all that. I don't know if that's important, but he knew what he was going to do. But we see the humanness that Jesus' compassion is not just something that was just, I guess it was innate in him, but as a human, he had compassion. And as God, he has compassion for us. He has experienced those same emotion, that same experience that I was telling you guys about, or, or a similar experience, not the same, I'm sorry, but a similar experience that caused him something on the inside of him to weep. For me, it was those memories. For Jesus, it was seeing these people sad and crying and, and moaning. So God cares for us. So when, when we're in these situations and people are sending us these cards and telling us, you know, that, uh, God gives us comfort, and all of the things that we write down when people are mourning, those things are true because Jesus has experienced that. He knows, and we can take solace in that. So hopefully this deepens that for you when we go through those times that we recognize Jesus cares. It's not, it's not that he just cares for us because he's Jesus. No, he cares for us because he's experienced these same feelings as well. Let's keep going. It says, after Jesus wept, Verse 36, it says, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So now here we see Jesus Christ who raised people from the dead. They know about it. Some have seen. Here we got the naysayers here. They're coming in. Well, couldn't he do something, basically? Could he do something? You already know he could do something. So why are you doubting? You should know that if Jesus is on the scene, something is good. Now, we have the text. So we have a Bible that we can go through and see all the things that Jesus did that shows his compassion for us. They didn't, so they're still seeing and learning. But most of these people, especially if they were Jews and had any type of, uh, well, they did. They had much oral history back then. They understood certain things that were going on. They heard about Jesus. They knew that he had healed people from the dead. So here we are. We find ourselves where Jesus is getting ready to do something, right? So let's go. I'm going to skip down to verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Let's stop right here. So we talked about Jesus waiting those, those two days. I'm going to try to pull this together. So Jesus was, was with his disciples. He had left out of the region that he was in to get away from the Jews because they were trying to kill him, right? So he's there about a 30, 20, 25 to 30-mile walk away from where Martha, Lazarus, 
and Mary were. Martha and Mary send, they send over messengers to Jesus. Lazarus is sick. So Lazarus apparently progressed to a point where this isn't looking good. We need to send for Jesus. It takes the messenger a day to get over to Jesus. You know, it's not like they had a Mercedes, BMW, or whatever to just drive over. They had to walk. They had to get there one way or another. So it took about a day. In the Jews at that time, when a person died, they buried them that day for a number of reasons. One, they knew that if they left dead bodies just sitting out, that disease could spread. Two, it was considered dishonorable to do so. So when he passed, they put him in, in this tomb. And the tomb that Lazarus was in, the way they did tombs there, the door was fairly short. It wasn't a big door because it was designed, it was, it was set up where you go in, you're not supposed to come out, and they rolled the stone over it, okay? So when Jesus, is, when, when Jesus tells them to take the stone away, Martha is not indignant because this is her friend, and she knows who, God, who Jesus is. She knows, she believes that he's God. She believes that he's the Messiah. And she's like, uh, Lord, he's thinking at this point. So that first day, the messengers go to Jesus. Jesus stops, and he waits two days. So it's another day walk for Jesus to get back out to Lazarus, to Mary, and to Martha. Now, we don't know exactly what time Lazarus died, but we see here that four days have gone by that he had been in the tomb, that he had been entombed. By that time, some things had taken place before God had done anything to Lazarus. I don't want to go too deep in it, but when, 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 when people die or when things are deceased, stuff starts to decompose in the body. And after four days, that's why she said these people were well acquainted with what happened when people died. They didn't have, in many cases, unless you were super rich or, and, and chose to do so, they didn't have the same things that we have now. So they understood. In four days, you don't even go over there because things are getting really bad to that body. But then Jesus comes and says something here. Take the stone away. She says, it's been four days. Then Jesus says this, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe that thou shouldest see the glory of God. God, Jesus is doing this because, again, he wants them to see and know. Remember, I mentioned that the rabbis would say that three days, you had three days and the life could come back in them. You know, they might be able to spring back up in three days. Jesus wanted to make sure for our sake, for Lazarus, for, for, for Lazarus' sake, for Mary and for Martha, but more so even for his disciples that they were 100% sure who they were dealing with. And for everybody else that heard the story of Lazarus, that they were 100% sure that this wasn't no okey-doke, this wasn't no fluke. You know how when stuff happened, people always, ah, oh, man, you know, especially now, we, we live in this uh, this society where everybody's questioning everything, you know. Something happens, oh, well, man, it could have been this. Uh, man, that ain't what it is. It's, we, we live in this conspiracy theory society. So if you believe this, you had to believe that even what the, he superseded even what the rabbis 
had given and had said that three days, you know, that life for spirit, we call it the vibe or the spiritual whatever nowadays. Could have just jumped back in him and brought him out. So eh, Jesus, he could have done it. That was a conspiracy theory if he had not waited this time, these four days. Uh, the life force just jumped back in him. He wasn't dead anyway. Jesus made sure that you understood that, no, this ain't the life force. This is God you're dealing with. And everybody had to take notice of what had taken place. Let's continue to read here, verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me, which I mentioned a little earlier. 43, and when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So when Jesus called him out, Lazarus had to make a decision. Was he going to stay? Was he going to stay there and say, okay, uh, I don't know if I want to come out in these death clothes because he, he was wrapped in these death clothes. So he made a decision and he said, and he that was and the Bible says, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now, Lazarus is wrapped and bound in these grave clothes. If we remember, so now God has resurrected him, has brought, has brought him back to life. If you don't, if you don't believe he resurrected, he brought him back to life. And it was evident because we said the four days. Lazarus is bound, hand and foot. Face is covered with a napkin, or they say a napkin, a, a cloth that, that's covering him. You remember I said that the tomb doors were, were really short. It wasn't designed for you to come out. So after they rolled the stone away, Lazarus had to come out. So he's coming out. So if he's bound hand and feet, he's not walking out. His feet are bound. So he has to come out. Lazarus, again, could have made the decision that, man, I'm just going to stay in here and let everybody leave. Because the truth is, or as it seems, the Bible doesn't say this, but in my mind, Jesus brings him back to life. All the things that had happened, this is real world. Those clothes, those cloths had to get kind of bad. The outside, now, their culture, it's a little semi-arid, so maybe it wasn't as moldy, but I'm sure whatever was on it caused those cloths to smell. So even though he was brought back to life, he had smelly stuff on him. It probably wasn't the way anybody would want to be seen. I'm sure, though, Lazarus was pretty excited because he was brought back. Whether he knew exactly what was going on at that time or not, the Bible doesn't say that. But what we do know is that he was bound. And so we see that Jesus calls him out, and then he doesn't say, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. He doesn't say that. He says to the others, go and basically unbind him, take this stuff off of him. So again, the people that Jesus is talking to, they have to make a decision. Are we going to go over there and touch this stuff that we don't know what decomposition is on these clothes or not? In the same way, we have to make decisions that when people are born again, 
when they come out of the tomb, when they come hopping out with grave clothes on, when they basically, when people get saved and they don't look churched, they don't look like people that you want to deal with or want to touch, you got to make a decision now because the Bible is clear. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Are, are you going to say anything to these people that are lost, that, that have now accepted Christ? Or are you going, ah, you know, they're not of my status. They don't think the way I think. They was in all of that life. I don't want all of that life on me. Now, I'm going to be honest. When, at, at some point in my walk, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know if I want. But as I understand, as we mature, we recognize, well, dude, when you got saved, you weren't all that. You, same, you, you came out of that stuff, too. Somebody had to help you. In the same way Jesus tells the people to come and help Lazarus get these nasty cloths off of him, that's what we are called to do, that when the Lazaruses of the world come and are rebirthed or brought into the light, we have to get our hands dirty sometimes. I was out here yesterday, and I said, I, I thought it was supposed to rain. I don't know if it's raining and drizzling outside now or not. But I came by and just picking up trash or whatever. I, I, and it's not something that I always do. I, I just said, I'm going to just come on out here and get that done because it's supposed to rain today. I had a minute or two. So I'm picking up trash, picking up trash, picking up trash. And I'm always pretty cautious when I'm out doing stuff. You know, my, I, and I, it's not so much because of being here. I'm, I've just always been like that. I'm very aware or try to at least be very aware of my surroundings and what's going on. So I was doing some stuff. And I was back over here picking up a piece of trash. I bent down, picked up the trash, and a young man came over. I say young. I don't know how old he was. It was like he was probably in his 30s, maybe 40. And he said, uh, he picked it up, and he said, here you go, man. Uh, so, hey, man, how you doing? So, and I didn't see him come. It was like he just appeared. I didn't see him walking down the street or anything. It's like he just, bam, he was right on top of me. But I was on this side of the fence. He was on the other. And I was, that was my last piece of paper that I was picking up. Something had blown across the fence. So I tell him thank you. I grab it. And then he says, his name was Troy. I won't call his last name, but I remember his, I remember his last name. I usually don't. I'm horrible with names. So if you hear me talking to you and I'm like, bruh, ma'am, or whatever, it's because I probably don't remember your name. Now, I know you. I might know all kind of stuff about you, but I may forget very, very quickly. However, I remembered his name. His name was Troy. And he said, man... Pray for me and my family. What? No, he didn't say pray for me. He said pray for my family so that they might be saved and uh, pray for them that, you know, I can touch them, that I'll be able to touch them. And I looked at him, and I thought that was kind of interesting because he didn't ask me to pray for him. He asked me to pray for his family that they might get saved. So I said, okay, man, I'll, I'll do that. And at first I thought it was a little odd. And he said, all right, man, thank you. And he took off walking down that way. Well, I was finished. And something clicked in my mind. I was like, one of two things. I was like, well, first of all, I didn't ask him if he knew who the Lord was. And then the next thing was, you know, I, I didn't ask him that. And then the next thing was like, okay, I'll, I'll pray for him. I just want to make sure that you know that I will. Because I told him that I would, but I just wanted to reiterate that with him. So I got out, finished, jumped in my truck. And as I drove down there, I got down to the corner and there, the, the road tees, and he was on the side. He walked right up to the side. So I rolled my window down, and I asked him. I said, man, do you know the Lord? He's like, oh, yeah, man, I know the Lord. I've been baptized and everything. He said, but he said, you know, you look like a believer, and I just wanted to make certain that, you know, I got with somebody and asked him to continue to pray for us. And I said, okay, man. I said, well, 
I said, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to do that, okay? And he said, okay, and he got to walking, and I went on wherever I was supposed to be. And I'm saying all of that to say that, you know, there are things that constantly are going to come around us. You know, I had stuff I needed to do. I was busy yesterday, a lot of little things. I thought I had some time and really didn't as much as I thought. But what's more important, dealing with somebody that's asking you about the Lord or doing some other things? And I recognize we're all busy. We all have a lot of things to do. But when somebody comes and asks you to pray for them, now, why he came over and asked me, maybe it was nobody else outside. Maybe well, I just go ask him. But something drew him over here. Something got him over here to ask. And I just felt like it was important not just to pray for him, because many times people come and say, hey, man, pray for him. And you pray and then you move on. But to let him know that, man, we're concerned about it. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know you. Sometimes it's a little bit harder. Sometimes you have to have that agape love, that love that God gives you for your enemies or just for others even that you may not know as well. But that moved me to say, okay, Lord, I need to stop and pray for this young man. And hopefully it helps him and his family because, and not hopefully, it will. The Bible says that the prayers of a, uh, the fervent righteous prayer, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so I believe that the two of us were there uh, when I prayed, he had moved on down. But God hears our prayers, and he, he's going to attend to it. His word is not going to return void. No different than what Jesus did here. He knew what he was going to do here with Lazarus. And even after he did it, he had some commandments. He was commanding people to come on and do these things. In the same way God has commanded us to touch, to agree with people, especially those that are of a like mind, that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that that, that we pray for one another, that we hold each other, that we are compassionate towards one another just as he is compassionate towards us. I want to keep going as we have a little time here. Um, let me catch back up where, where I was at. Um, verse 43, I think we are talking. So Lazarus is out. We talked about pulling off the grave clothes. Uh, I'm sorry, 45. John eleven forty five, They pulled off the, Jesus' commanded the people that were around him to take off the grave clothes and to let him go. Verse 45, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then, so I'll just talk from here. I won't read 47. So what happens then after 47? So we the people are there. People have come from different towns to deal with Mary, Martha, and they see something that has never been seen before, that a man was raised after four days, that you have to believe and know now that this is God. Okay? So after these events, the people go out and they start talking, like we all do. So some are just telling people because they're so excited, they're so bound up with joy, after seeing what happened. Man, did y'all see what Jesus did? Man, that dude, I knew that dude. He was in the grave four days, and he came out. They took the stuff off. Same dude. He was freed. He was renewed. I, man, amazing. So this story is going around to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, all these people that want to kill him. And so now, their resolve is 10 times higher. Not only do they want to kill him, they want to kill Lazarus too. Why do you want to kill Lazarus? 
Well, that's the proof right there. We're going to take him out because we can't have these guys doing We can't have Jesus doing this because the Romans are going to come and take our place. They're going to, they're going to, we're not going to have anything. We need to let this one man die for us. We've already been fighting with him. He's around here talking about he God. Now, he ain't just talking about he God. He did what only God can do after bringing somebody up out of the grave after four days. So we got to get him out of there. It says from there on, they plotted, they were like, okay, we got to get him out of here. The Passover's coming. We know the story of the passion of Christ, what happened there. But it, it's, it's interesting how when God shows up, the devil also shows up as well. But again, as I mentioned, as, as the title of, this, of, of our message is, The Compassion of Jesus, Jesus shows his compassion to their family. He shows his compassion to the disciples. He shows his compassion to all of us in what he did here in John 11. He basically foreshadows and shows, not foreshadows, he does something that's miraculous that nobody has ever seen, but he's also preparing his disciples for after he leaves, after he's dead, because they're going to go back in their mind for everything. If you go back and think about COVID, think about 9-11, these monumental times, there's always this shift. So in the same way, when Jesus died for the disciples, there was a shift. Some of them may have been kind of wishy-washy, and there were more than 12 disciples, but there were the 12 main disciples, and then Jesus had plenty other people that the Bible doesn't say specifically about that followed Jesus, maybe from afar or may not have been in that core group. But he did that not just for them, but for all of us so that we can believe. And the more we can understand kind of what was going on, where, what was going on in their culture, and their culture, again, that if somebody died, you got three days before, and if you, if you get him up within those three days, maybe so. But after four, you know that, mm-mm, this got to be God. God is doing this. So Jesus is having compassion on us because when Jesus died, again, I said earlier, that for three, for four day, for three days, three nights, Jesus was in the grave, was in the tomb. So when he was seen, it was that fourth day. So that same thing applied to Jesus during his death, burial, and resurrection that applied to Lazarus. And so because of Jesus' compassion towards us, he foreshadows these things and shows them so that even for for us and even more so for those disciples that after he left, they could believe, they could know. The same Thomas in here that made mention of going, hey, we're going to go to... uh, we're going to go to this place with you, Jesus, and we're going to die there with you. It's the same one that doubted when Jesus was risen from the dead and had the holes in his hand and didn't believe until he felt them. And then he was like, oh, okay, I believe. That's why he was called Doubting Thomas. Didymus. Didymus meaning twin. I guess he had a, a twin somewhere else. Uh, but he believed upon that because of the events that, and the things that he did concerning Lazarus. So in the same way, we should have, hopefully, this will, will help us in reading this text here and understanding it a bit better, because some of the things that we hear may not fall out exactly as we think in our mind, but if we continue to dig, continue to search, recognizing that God is compassionate towards us, our, and, and if we ask him for understanding, many of these things, and we pursue it, many of these things will come clear to us and help us to understand exactly what it is that God wants for us. Again, God is compassionate. Jesus loves us. The things that he 
that we have gone through. He has compassion on us for those things because he too has experienced many, all of those things. He knows when we're sad. He knows when there are things that we're dealing with that just seem so weighty that we can't control them. He knows because he has, when, when he went to the cross, said he, he perspired and basically bled blood, um, sweated blood from his body. So things that many of us have never even encountered, Jesus knows, and we can take solace, we can take, uh, we, 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 can, we, can, we can trust him for everything that we are going through and recognize that he knows, he understands, he's compassionate towards us. So with that, we're going to close up here, and we're going to, again, knowing that Jesus is compassionate towards us, he wants the best for us, and he loves us, and he shows it in the record in his word here in John chapter 11. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Lord, we recognize that you and you alone are compassionate towards us, Heavenly Father, in a way that can consume any problem, anything that we have going on in life. Father, help us to hold fast in this dark time, but to also recognize, dear God, that this is a great time that we live in, that if we walk in the light, that, Father, you will keep us and we will be able to see the direction that you have for us. Father, we praise you right now. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.